Gaming NBS, episode 246, coming to you June 9th, 2019. Welcome to Ta- oh my god I am just rusty as hell. I welcome to Gaming NBS Tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. I know what I'm doing. I think. Welcome yes. to the show, folks. Sean, welcome to the show for the first time. Glad to have you on board. Thanks, Brett. I'm new at this. I know. If we get another uh, 240 some episodes, I'm sure you'll get back in the groove. It'll be fine. Ah yeah yeah yeah. How was your weekend, man? It's good. I gamed, Brett. Did you game? No, I actually dealt with literal shit. We had a septic system problem at the cabin. Oh, so no. It's fixed. It's fixed. It was not like... It could have been a lot worse, but uh, my old man and I got it sorted out. So all the, pl- all the plumbing works. There's a... When you know you're going to rough it, you go somewhere. You're like, hey, this cabin has no running water, and there's an outhouse. You're like, oh, I'm prepared for that. The cabin is designed for that fact. There's basins for water and blah, 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 whatever you're going to do. When you go somewhere where you're expecting all of the amenities and they don't work, Ooh. especially you can bring water in, you just can't get it out. It's just, Everything is just, as my mother would say, it was cattywampus. It was not good. <clears throat> and uh, my dad is old, out of shape, 70. I mean, it's not ancient, ancient, but it's not the years, it's the mileage. He has two fake knees, bad back, fucked up shoulder. He's like, I think I can figure this out. I'm like, you're not figuring this out on your own, Dad. I'm, I'll take a day off. I'm going to go. We're going to fix this. So we fixed it. But you got the game, so that's cool. How was your game? I thought it was okay. I yeah. uh, I don't know. My opinion doesn't matter much as uh, <clears throat> doesn't matter as much as the players. Opinions. Or at all, really. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, a couple people. It was a Patreon game. So I messed up and did not plan forward enough to post it on Patreon for people that wanted to join like within the last week. So ideally I would schedule, find out who's in, give it a week. The people that are out are out. And then I free up three spots posted on Patreon. Okay. People that can join. Problem is I want to get like an FAQ put out there. So that way they're like, well, where do I go? What do I do? So yeah. what kind of character can I play? Where is it taking place? And so, those are so, all in there. So what I'm doing is um, two things. One, I'm waiting until I get um, <clears throat> the people who paid for the Kickstarter from Avalon Kickstarter for me to run a game for them. I want to get that done. Once that's done, I, I expect Sean will have all the bugs worked out of the system. I could say, hey, Sean, it's about time I run. Hand me that fully baked cake. I'll serve that. <laughs> And I'll be like, wow, Brett, this is amazing. Yeah. And I will say things like, ah, yes, yes, my partner Sean built this for me. That's 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 my plan. So we're using Roll20 and Discord. It's okay. Like, that's it. So Discord audio and uh, Roll20 for pretty much chat. I think we can use chat and Roll20 and uh, all the handouts and die rolls and stuff. So it seems to be working out okay. Awesome. Very cool. Yep, yep, yep. So for that's online, it. And I was going to say for online gaming, I have found that I don't care if people choose to roll dice tactically on their desk in front of them. I don't care. I don't yeah, I don't, to, I don't need to see the dice. I it's not that big a deal. I don't. I don't play with cheating bastards, so I'm not worried. I don't care either. But roll twenty when you use the five E character sheets, it's really easy. Oh can, yeah, that's like a click interface that adds all the bones. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you there. That's cool. That is very cool. Yeah. 
Well, I guess we should talk about like gaming shit now. So let's see here. Announcements wise, the Avalon Kickstarter I mentioned this last episode. If you backed at any level of grants you PDF, you should have gotten the link. And I believe Phil Vacchione, our master project manager for Encoded Designs and this project, as all others for Encoded, um, we found some errors. Uh, Papa Swick and a few others got a hold of me and said, hey, there's a couple spelling errors. Oh, I found a thing. And just small stuff. It was really like tiny errors. And we went through like, you know what? Now's the perfect time as we're getting the print-on-demand stuff ready. And uh, Bob and the guys combed back through it. Made sure we caught everything, uh, cleaned all that stuff up, so there should be a new and improved PDF available for folks. Um, and I do want to thank, I mentioned Jim Fitzpatrick last time, had a very short but very nice comment on Twitter for me. And Jared Rasher, um, scholar and gentleman that he is, did a very nice review of uh, the Streets of Avalon PDF. Did you do it, it in his blog? Oh, well, no, put it in the notes. I will I will get it out in the notes so that'll show up there. Okay. But uh he was he it was really cool. I thought it was um <laughs> I was talking to Kev Thulu about this and he said, You were really nice back to him. I'm like, dude, the guy took the time to read my thing and put together a very thoughtful approach on things he liked, a couple things like, I wish you would have done better here. Oh, I wish this would have been a little bit better. I, I read his review and I'm like, Yep, you know what? Those are all good points. Jared, I can make Avalon even better with that feedback. Thank you, sir. So those types of reviews, read all day long. That that douchebag who's going to write in and say, this sucks, you're a thief, it's nothing but a whatever, blah, 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 rip off for your what, that, that's of no value to me. So, But good, well-thought-out reviews with good points like that. If you follow Jared's method, man, I'll, I'll listen to you. That's good stuff. So thank you, Jared and Jim Fitzpatrick, for doing that for me. Are we still doing the um, – have you read it yet? I should ask you, have you read my PDF yet, Sean? I have not. That's okay. You're busy. I have guy. not. You're busy. I'm reading a few things at the moment. That's totally fine, dude. There's so much crap going on. It is hard to keep up on everything. Yeah. Even though you should be really excited for me because you're my friend. And I, I downloaded it. It's on It's on my good reader on my uh, iPad. So It's okay. I'll be all right. I'll yeah. read the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are we still doing Awesome Dice? Did you sort that out? This is the last month. To sign up on our email list and be qualified to win a set of dice from awesomedice.com. So June 2019 is the last month for the Awesome Dice giveaway. It's, it's the last month. Xavier G, if you're out there, I think I emailed you. Um, if you want a set of dice, let us know I can that I can forward your email. You won for the month of May. We'll hook you up. Otherwise... Um, I don't know if the promo code's going to continue past June. My guess is probably not. But I would never, assume not as well. Yeah. Otherwise, so go over to Awesome Dice, spend ten bucks or more, use promo code GamingBS, and you'll get fifteen percent off your order. So there you go. There you go, indeed. Um, <laughs> Evercon.org. You can go out there. Uh, I'm going to keep pimping that till my show hits in January. Um, Check that out if you're able to get there. That would be great to have some BSers on hand running games and so on. And GameholeCon.com. Now you can go get your badges. The VIGs sold out, I think, about that fast or slightly quicker, um, which is the way those types of things go. But the regular badges are for sale, which means Sean and Brett need to scurry out and get our badges uh, so we don't have to buy them on site, <laughs> which we have both had to do in the past because we screwed up. But anyway, we will uh, make sure we get those done. 
But if you're out there and you're going to make it to Game Hocon and you're looking to run a game, you'd like to run it under the Gaming BS banner. It'd be great if you told us, hey, I would like to do this. I want to run this game. That'd be great. We can help pimp that stuff for you. Push it out there. And uh, there's places in the uh, submission section where you can say, you know, are you with a group or something? You can say Gaming BS to help run things under our banner. So kind of cool. We appreciate everybody who does it. So any other announcements, man? Anything cool happening, big going on? No. No? Okay. I don't think so. Did you, we talked last time about getting to the, trying to figure out the whole Brett and Sean run and encounter. I know that's uh, still in the works. Yes. Okay. It's in the works. That's <laughs> kind of. Well, it's good. I mean. It's in Sean's brain. Well, yours and mine together. And the thing that, the thing that's. Well, just flat difficult for coordinating this stuff is that there's stuff. We both have a day job. We're both married. We've got stuff to do. You, you've got pets. I've got pets, kids, nephews, nieces, parents. There's there's things that happen. I had to go fix a sewer problem. <laughs> you know, shit gets in the way sometimes. Just gets in the way. But it's going to happen. We will make this thing work. So, all right. Let's see here. Shall we random encounter? Move it on. Let's do it. We should. Let's do that. Or oh, my button at. <laughs> Randoms Encounters, segment in the show where we field voicemails, emails, and comments from social media. I think I put something out of order. Uh-oh. It's not a big deal. I'm going to put Romans first because this will set the tone for the rest, I think. All right. I'll let you do that, and then you can read it. Uh, what do I do with it? Oh, shoot. Hold on a second. Oh my god. Where did you go? Ah, here we go. There you <laughs> go. Get in there. Jeez, man. Copy paste is hard. All right. There. Who's starting me? You. I am. Yes. So Roman emails us on hindrances. Dudes. The latest episode titled PC Hindrances should have been more aptly titled Mailbag. You spent 41 minutes reading and discussing emails and less than 20 minutes on your topic. Disappointing. I enjoy the show and look forward to it every week, but I think this topic deserved more of your time if it's going to be a title discussion. Game on, Roman. You're you're right, dude. Yep. You're dead right, Sean. There and I, we, you got, go. we, we got done with <laughs> we got done with the show. And we went. Uh, I said I don't think that. Ugh. We both had a little misgivings on how that one went, but we tried to keep it within the average. And Roman, man, you're you're on point. I can't deny it. We uh we bungled that one. So apologies. I think you are correct, sir. Yep that that's it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> nothing else to do other than you are correct, Roman. Um, yep. No, no qualms or beefs about it. No, no. Every once in a while, we we bungle it, and that's what happened. The it's we get it a decent amount. I mean, our random encounters are very. Um, we either have one or two, or we have eight or nine. Like it's just, and it could be because of a variety of different reasons. Sean might have checked, might failed to have checked a particular feedback section of the website or something and and then we we end up double piling them up sometimes it's a hot topic and other times the stars align and 16 people all feel compelled to have said hey i just started listening and i went back 20 yeah. 20 30 episodes or something so but the fact uh, remains 
You're right. It was a short topic and a longer mailbag. So we'll try to be more conscious of that, Roman. So having said that, this one, we have quite a few uh, <laughs> quite a few feedbacks this week, actually. Well, let's see what we get through here. If yeah. nothing else, um, we'll kind of blow, we'll go through this and see what we can do. If nothing else, uh, Roman, I think this gives us, Sean and I a good opportunity to say, hey, you know what we'll do? If we get in today's topic and we get about partway through, say, you know what? We're gonna pick this up next week. We may have to do two parters, type of thing. It might be a it might be an option. One other thing that Roman, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I put in podcast chapters. So on your podcast catcher or your podcatcher or wherever you listen to your podcast, I believe a majority of them support chapters. So if you can pull up the chapters, you should be able to just like skip segments. Now I don't have it broken down by every random encounter feedback piece. Mm. But if you said, well, you could see right on there, it's like, oh, my God, Random Encounter looks like it's 40 minutes long. You can just boop, bop, bop right past it and onto the main topic. So um, just as an FYI, if you feel compelled to do that, I, I'd hope you listen to some of the Random Encounters. But, I mean, hey, you know, it's your prerogative, man. Point taken, though. Moving yes. on. Let's yes. see. James on metacurrencies and inclusivity. Gentlemen, two quick comments. From shows about the past. One, love the episode of Metacurrencies when I started DMing for a group of hardcore D&D players who had been playing together for about 40 years. I introduced a modified version of Benny's. I gave each player two poker chips and allowed them to cash them in for re-rolling during a chapter of my game. A chapter was about four to six sessions of four hours each. I was running the game in chapters, which they had no idea when a chapter would end, so they had to decide when it was best to use the chips. If they held on to a chip for the end of the chapter, they could use it to reroll dice since they level up um, at the end of a chapter. This was Pathfinder, not 5e, so rolling for hit dice was a really stressful aspect of leveling up. At the end of a chapter, I reset the chips to one to two chips, depending on my mood, and the challenge of the next chapter. I like the depending on my mood part, because that's just a fact. That's how DMs roll. Anyway... Um, <laughs> my thought process behind giving them chips was as players that make fewer die rolls than the DM and therefore each of the rolls have more importance to them than my roles as a DM, a save roll or a die, a save roll or a die situation for them is much more drastic than for my monsters. I figured they should have the opportunity to retry some rolls. When a coyote chases rabbit, if the rabbit loses, it dies. When the coyote loses, it just misses a meal. Strong selection on the rabbit. <laughs> Players are rabbits, so giving them bennies or chips help level the playing field. Now that I play 5e, I like the inspiration die mechanic because it allows players the opportunity to re-roll dice if things do not go as they plan. Also, if they fail 2x, then obviously it was meant to be. Most people do not realize that rolling with advantage dramatically increases the probability of a success when making a roll. There's less than a 9% chance of rolling a 15 or higher with disadvantage, where there's a 30% chance normally and a 51% chance with advantage. He cites a little uh, advantage-disadvantage probability website out there. Check out the graph on there, and it shows the difference between normal and rolling with advantage diverges dramatically around the DC of 10 to 15 range. Second, I love the episode with Paige Letman. The conversation brought many important issues and solutions to these problems concerning gender equality and inclusiveness for the gaming hobby. So much great information and perspective in the discussion. Thanks for taking on this important topic. Page Off the Cuff mentioned a comic called Rat Queens. I found an issue in my comic book store, and it is awesome. Highly recommended for its excellent art, sexy and witty dialogue, startling violence, and ass-kicking adventures. Check out the collected issues in paperback. Thanks, BNS, for your excellent podcast, and hope B, you score a deer with your new plus one bow. <laughs> Thank you, James. Best regards, James. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Thanks, James. Over to you, Sean. 
Brett goes back to mass combat. Hey, BSD boys. I'm one of those who started with episode one last fall and just got caught up to the present recently. Hey. The longer we keep doing this, the gutsier move that is. So well done. Well done, sir. Yes. I didn't listen to all of your past episodes, but the 30 to 40% that I did listen to have often really inspired me as I plan my next campaign. I find your show informative, accessible, and fun. There's one topic that I think is worth a revisit. When I listened to your episode on mass combat, I was surprised to see that it focused largely largely on just running regular um, regular RPG encounters with the thematic backdrop of a bigger military conflict. That's well and good, but in my mind, the hallmarks of mass combat and RPGs are one, abstraction from focus on the individual to focus on the unit of troops, and two, the importance of unit morale and its effects. These have been a uh, part of all the mass combats and RPGs that I've ever been involved in. This includes Battle System for Basic D&D, the War Machine for 2E, the built-in mass combat system in Exalted, and the Kingmaker slash Ultimate Campaign mass combat rules for Pathfinder. So I think it's worth an episode to explore mass combat again, asking things like, what is it? How can it be done well? How is it sometimes done poorly? What else is related to it? Actually, I think these points could be good for any concept-based episode. But anyway, if you don't want to do an absolute repeat of the topic, maybe you could do a more general one on additional rules, systems within the system, and include not only mass combat, but also things like ship-to-ship combat, kingdom-slash-dominion rules, etc. Cheers and keep up the excellent BSing, Brett, with one T. That's the only way you can tell Brett and I apart. Right, of course. It's without with I have two T's, and you can see it when you look at me, and you can note that he only has one T. Which well, is, of course, it's neither plus nor minus. It's just that's how you tell the two. Parts. Yes, I think what's interesting there, Brett, is that you mentioned uh, ship to ship combat. And one of the things that Sean hit me with the other day he goes, "You know, we should talk about vehicle combat." I'm like, "Yeah, we should, we should do that." <laughs> so this is like, yep, ship to ship is uh, it's a vehicle type combat. So. Yes, well, um, good points there, sir, and I have just added them into the hopper, and uh, those will make, uh, we'll get in there, we'll make We'll make sure we hit those. All right. All right, so let's see, we've got Jello Joe talking about hindrances. Hey guys, just listened to the hindrances episode and wanted to chime in with examples from my favorite game slash setting, Desolation RPG. As with several games during character creation, players are required to take a flaw. Technically, it can take as many as they like. I usually limit to two or three max. The more flaws you take at creation, the more style points you start with. These are similar to inspiration. Through the game, if your flaw puts you or the group into conflict, you can earn style points. In the core book and both supplements, they have examples of flaws your characters may have, but they are no means all-inclusive. Here's an example from the book. Honest. Your character is sincere and straightforward. He always tells the truth and plays by the rules, even when his opponents do not. Your character suffers a minus two penalty on social roles when they try to lie or cheat. You earn a style point when your character's honesty causes trouble. Style points in Desolation are similar to what I believe inspiration points are for D&D 5e and others, I'm sure. They're given out by the GM when the player role-played and encountered it particularly well, causes a conflict that will need to be resolved, and bringing in a food dish to game night. Yes, even bringing food. (laughs) The setting is harsh. They suggest handing them out fairly liberally. Um, lack up levels and steady increasing hit points make every one of those matter. 
Style points can be spent on a few things, but the most prominent is adding extra die to your skill when making any kind of roll, dice pool mechanics. I usually keep a stack of poker chips handy to toss at players. As far as awesome game stories, gar- game stores, excuse me, Guardian Games in Portland, Oregon. It's 4,000 plus square feet of gaming heaven. Holy shit, dude. Um, I've seen people from nearly all walks of life patronizing and employed there. We met the previous owner and founder about 15 years ago, and she has built an amazing community. My dream is to one day open up a game shop on my own, probably when I retire from my current career in like 30 years. I would love to recreate a similar vibe. Guardian has lifelong customers in us until my dream comes true. Thanks for continuing to do great things. Oh, I'm sorry. The current, he, he corrects himself. The current Guardian Games location is 10,000 plus square feet. 10,000 plus square feet. So this is Guardian Games in Portland, Oregon. Holy crap. Yeah, that's a big store. Big store. And to have it be run well all in you know a great environment where people can hang out and feel welcome and included, ah, that's damn near beyond belief, Joe. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Yeah, so if you're out in Portland, you'll have to check out that game store. What's it called again? Guardian Games. Guardian Games in Portland, Oregon. Guardian Games. 10,000 square feet. Good Lord. That is that is selling a shit ton of product in order to pay that rent. That is big. All right. Your <laughs> turn. A, even if it's a buck a square foot, man. <laughs> it's a lot. That's a lot per Plus month. Plus heat, lights, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a fucking lot huge. A lot of freaking magic cards. John from House K-Word, DM Kojo and random rolling and random rolling up a character. Hi, Brett and Sean. I just listened to DM Kojo's text about bringing a character concept to the table. It seemed he was advocating that player characters should be randomly generated so that they can run organically. They can organically develop over time. I have done it and liked it, but personally, I find it much less fun. I like to think about and know who I am bringing to the table. It helps me create catchphrases, accents, or connections to the campaign. Part of my fun is thinking about it ahead of time, so why not let players use both approaches? Additionally, in my experience, most players revert, slide, or slip into their base role-playing character. You know, the one they have been playing in in every system since 7th grade. Uh, <clears throat> my buddy Jeff. Yeah, hey, Hi, I, Jeff. I, Hi, Jeff. I got a couple of those. Fighter, Magic, User, Thief, Paladin. Rogi, Rogi guy, Han Solo, Captain Kirk. Um, it is the exceptional player that can sustain a truly different character for an adventure, let alone a campaign. I also suggest, with all due respect to DM Kojo, that he is sounding very similar to the people who refuse to do it this way. Keep up the great show, John from California. California. John, John I'll tell you what, man. One of the things you said there is part of the fun for you is doing it ahead of time. There is... Something to be said, and people have argued this in the past, that Pathfinder and, and 3.0, 3.5, so on, and other games like that that are complicated or very crunchy, one of the things that it rewards is time away from the game table. And this is a piece that isn't necessarily crunchy per se or anything, but thinking about how your character would act, react, and how they fit the setting and so forth, if that is something you do away from the table, it helps you stay engaged in the game and so forth. Yeah, I can totally see why that would be a big score for you, and that makes sense. I've got guys in my group that really, really enjoy that. And away from the table, you know, three weeks after the game, I'll get a text, I'll get an email from Lenny, or he'll slack me up and say, hey, I think 
Uh, RJ would walk away. Hey, I think this character would this. I think this would happen. Tell me again what happened. I'm not sure what to do with my guy next time. They're thinking about this outside the game, and I think that uh, that's a valid, that's a very valid perspective, John. And I like that, I like that phrase you threw out there. So thank you very much. Good feedback. All right, <clears throat> let's see. Ryan from House uh, Bueller shed some perspective on inclusivity. Hello, Brett and Sean. I really enjoyed the episode. This is I, now. This is really good. It, okay, I, so I'm, I'm assuming just, so. I'm just it, saying this is. It looks this, long and well thought out. So this, this is something that I think. I mean, not that the rest were not good, but I think this is something that will lead into some very interesting perspective. So oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really awesome. Thanks, Ryan, uh, in advance for emailing us. Yeah, Sean usually buzzes through all these beforehand. I read them a little on the cold side, so. Anyway, really enjoyed the episode on inclusivity. I think that's a topic that could be revisited again and again without ever getting stale. I'd love to hear from all kinds of guests from various walks of life, share their experiences in gaming world, in the gaming world, so we can all work together to make our community better. Currently, I'm about halfway through your episode on character hindrances, and I couldn't help but feel there's a bit of correlation between that kind of game mechanic and, and inclusivity. I know you focused on using hindrances and flaws for character min-maxing, but from a different perspective, perhaps certain options that are labeled as flaws or hindrances could be a bit off-putting or offensive to different groups of people. For example, if I'm a player who actually requires the use of a wheelchair, how would I feel about seeing that listed as a flaw in a tabletop RPG? Or if I'm been diagnosed with schizophrenia, would I want to see other players at the table attempting to role-play that difference in an inexperienced way while the character acquires additional strengths for taking it. It's worth thinking about for sure. I'm a 40-year-old white dude from St. Louis who does not have any extra requirements to properly function in a society set up for only one type of person, so I can only speculate about the topic like this at best. However, I do want anyone and everyone to feel included and welcome at the table, even if that means having rule sets that do not paint different walks of life in a negative way or what could be interpreted as negative. Since it sounds like character hindrances are mechanics that are flawed themselves in more ways than one, perhaps it's time to rethink those kinds of rules completely. A better angle may be to have something where features are added to a character so that if one particular stat or ability is lowered, then a parallel well parallel one is bolstered. The difference being the player does not decide what is improved via point by system. So, for example, if my character requires the use of a wheelchair, then perhaps... That characteristic gives my character a bonus to her intelligence score. Or maybe for every two points I move from my character's charisma stat, their perception skill modifier goes up by one. These are just some quick ideas and definitely need more thought. I do think including opportunities to roleplay different walks of life is important, but game designers should reach out to those who are actually from that walk of life to learn better how to flesh these kinds of options out. Also, it may be t- time to stop referring to them as hindrances and flaws and move them to some other sections such as feats and abilities. Lastly, there's an amazing and massive book out there entitled Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity by Andrew Solomon. That book explores different walks of life from autism to the transgender and how the families cope with having members who do not fit into society's mold and what a quote-unquote normal person should be. It's a very eye-opening read, and I recommend it to pretty much every person on the planet. So those are my thoughts on that, and thanks for letting me share them. Great topics and show, as always, Ryan Bueller. Oh, P.S. My 12 year old son just loves hearing the Litterbox Studios production and meowing cat bit at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I will pass that along to Jumbo, the voice actor behind the meow of, of Litterbox Studios. Thanks, Ryan. You know, Ryan and Sean, you're dead right, man. You read that. And even Paige said this you know, you can do what you want at your own table, right? You can call something whatever you want. 
and so on. But when you're producing a book, when you're producing a game or whatever, if you say it is a hindrance, a flaw, if you stress the negative of certain components, you could potentially ostracize, alienate, hurt players or game masters, right? You know, and, and some of that being aware of who's at your table, if they are your friends, you know, I know there's certain things that are off limits for some of my friends, so I, I don't deal with them. And when I'm at running at a con, I take great care to not get quote unquote edgy or adulty or whatever some people may say, because I don't know these folks and, or some of them I may not know. And I don't want to hurt anyone, offend them. Or basically, even if you throw all that language out, I don't want to have it run a shitty game for these people. They paid to play with me. And most cons are paid to play. And the last thing I want to do is fuck that up. And yeah, I think that's that's an interesting perspective when it comes to terminology and such is why does it have to be called the hindrance and so on? Like it's a it's thought provoking, Ryan. So thank you. That was good. Yeah. I, and I think the context around it was just an example of how we, you know, we're not blind we're not deaf we're not in a wheelchair we're not paraplegic we're not quadriplegic you know we don't mm -hmm. we haven't walked in any of those people's shoes and then of course we're talking about some of the hindrances of a player character and how it plays a role in role-playing games and there's points that are involved and then there you know there's a connotation that they're negative and yep. so the, yeah there is a again it's like us being middle-aged Privileged white guys, just not realizing yeah, and perspective, I, right? I could hear somebody. Like somebody saying, at a table rolls up and, you know, in a wheelchair and you're like, oh, and your player care, you know, you've been pre-gens at a con and you create somebody that's got a hin hindrance of being paraplegic. Yeah. And, what's the big negative thing about this character? Well, they're stuck in a wheelchair. Oh, that's great. Thanks. That's a great way to say that. Right. That's really comfortable. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, you know what? I can hear somebody out there saying, well, I've never, never been an elf either, but I still try. That's <laughs> pretend this is a real yeah, thing. This is a little different. This is a little bit different. And honestly, if you can't see the difference, I'm not sure what to do with you there. But anyway, I, yeah. I, can, hear, I can hear that being said. I've met some people over the years who would say shit yeah, like that. Yeah. But interesting. I mean, even if this is one of those topics, Ryan, that you say that much like Paige left Sean and I'm like, huh, that's yep. good stuff to think about. I don't even know sometimes how to immediately re react to some of those pieces. I feel sometimes yeah. that I need to like, oh, yes, I have 16 examples where it is because as everybody listens to Sean, I know I, I love to talk as much as Sean does and perhaps more. And this is one of those what? topics where, yeah, I know. <laughs> this is one of those topics that takes you, if you think on it, it sets you back in your heels a bit and you need to think. And uh, so thanks, Ryan. That's good stuff. I appreciate yeah. it. That's just, I mean, that is a good um a good thing to bring up and, and point out and say, Hey, I don't know how I would handle it otherwise, honestly. And, and I think that there is the facts, right? You know, a person is blind, a person is deaf, a person is, you know, insert, um, whatever it is that they're encountering that somebody that is not deaf or blind, you know, encounters. So, Something to be conscious of is, I guess, all I'm saying. Thanks, Ryan, for bringing it up. Um, moving on. Hey, guys. Thought I would drop a line and thank you for having a great podcast. I really enjoy the banter back and forth and your perspectives on most of my favorite games. Sean, you got my last name correct the second time on this, po this last podcast, which is 
a few because this one's a little old pronounced wish like wishan like fish on oh okay wishan yeah. okay yeah wishan he's uh, one of the new patrons um brett looking f- uh, forward to the streets of uh, avalon book i really enjoyed listening to the streets of avalon live play podcast thank you very much Wishan. Hopefully you guys can manage to do some more of them. We uh, have we have done another one with Kevin running, and um, I'm running another one right now. So they're not done editing and ready to go yet, but we did. I am they're a coming. big I'm a big fan of this. Uh, several older RPGs: D6 Star Wars, V and V, Villains of Vigilantes, yeah, Twilight 2000, Traveler, that I try and play when I'm able. Uh, which hasn't happened nearly enough lately. That being said, I love finding new RPGs and checking them out. Anyways, have a great week, and thanks again for great, entertaining podcast, Mr. Wishon. Thanks, man. Yes, thank you very much. So thanks for everybody writing in this week. We really appreciate it. We are at the 32, uh, going on 33 mark. So I think we so, can hit this topic and actually give it some oomph. Yeah, I think so, man. Let's, Let's go at it. do this. All right, Brett. All right. So, <laughs> excuse me, a couple different people have talked to us about this. So, I don't want to just claim one, throw it to one person. We've had a few different um, listeners throw it at us, but running RPGs for small groups. And Sean and I were talking just before the show, and I've run, I run RPGs for my two kids at home. That's just AJ and Lana. It's just two people. How the hell do you do that? I got a buddy of mine right now running a one on one Rollmaster game for he, uh, Nick's running it for Zave. And I have run, <coughs> excuse me, one-on-one gaming sessions before. And Sean was saying, hey, sometimes you, you kind of hope you have three players or you're hoping for four to five, and sometimes you only get two, right? And um, <laughs> well, the first things that I, it's funny because my group will say things like, you know, we really want, we want to have a good campaign. We want to have a decent campaign. One of the things I, I joke in will say was, then you assholes better start showing up every month when I come up. Ha, ha, ha. You know, it's hard sometimes. Yeah, I do. So, <laughs> excuse me. I, I try to, if you have a number of people and sometimes you got drop-ins, drop-outs, whatever, that's a different topic. What we're talking about here is basically purposely running for small group. One game master and a lesser number of players than whatever normal is. So, Sean, I would say... Before we dive in, let's let's determine what small group is. So I would say a normal group is like Brett, four to four to six. Brett's normal group is four to six. Yeah. Actually, my normal group is six to eight. But I would think from reading and listening to other people, five to six is normal. Maybe heavier on the five. It seems like a trend. Okay. Seems like it's it's not we're not the first ones to maybe say five to six. I mean, I've heard it on lots of different podcasts. Anything above six gets to be kind of crazy, you know, and anything below three or four, maybe not. It's not not worth it, but it's just different. Yeah. I I think small is honestly three and under. You know, there I, are. Yeah, I would say three or under is I would consider small. This is kind of like small, midsize and large businesses. Yeah. It's like how many staff or how much revenue they're doing. Probably yes. staff more than anything, right? Mm-hmm. Because so there are actually games that are designed for small groups. Ooh. I, I can think of two off the top of my head that are actually designed for one to one play: Cthulhu Confidential, which is a gumshoe one to one, 
I had that, started reading through it. I went, I don't think I'm ever going to run this. Dude, we owe Patreons that. What, a gumshoe one-to-one game? Yeah, well, we, I think we owe, I think there's a a one-to-one game, like what? you and I or something. We play. Yeah. Okay. Like one session, I think we put down and- I should totally pay attention to the Patreon level. I know, me too. Well, <laughs> All right, our, so our I, Patreon leaves a lot to be desired at times. I'm sorry, patrons. It does. Our patrons are just really nice and very- They're just very, very accepting nice. of our foibles. Yes. Anyway, um, Cthulhu Confidential, which is gumshoe one-to-one. There is the hour between dog and wolf, which is a one-to-one game. I, Kevin Kevthulu had a copy of it. I looked through it. It looks freaking like emotionally intense. It's um, one person is a serial killer and the other person is a cop trying to figure them out, type of thing. Whoa. Um, I could not think of any other ones off the top of my head, but <clears throat> excuse me, when I think about other games I have played, like Amber, going way back to the diceless system. You could have a small group there because there is no defined party size. A lot of times in D&D, at least traditionally speaking, to use that to use the big gorilla, right? So, I need a fighter, I need a rogue or a thief. I'm going to say thief cuz I like thief better. I need a fighter, a thief, a magic user, and a cleric. I need one of each four major class because <clears throat> I need those in order to have all the right abilities. In a class-based game, having limiting the, the abilities and so forth <clears throat> can be pretty drastic, right? So if you were to play D&D and have two people and they both want to play wizards, there's no healing, there's no meat, there's no thievery, there's no bardic charm. It's just two wizards or a sorcerer and a wizard or whatever the case is. And you can feel very stifled or limited. And I have found that a number of people who enjoy smaller group games, not only just one-to-one, but other ones, um, enjoy games that are not class-based as much as point-by or overall skill-based systems because it de- <clears throat> there is no really defined, uh, a defined or expected number of players in, in, the, in the party's makeup. Does that make sense, Sean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about if you need a balanced party, you need a certain... If you, in order to survive, you need numbers. Yeah, and I think that's the key piece is if certain games are like, well, I, I can't survive, we won't live. Yeah, right? it's the two to three person. We don't We don't have enough people. We don't yeah, have we'll enough die. people that... Yeah, we'll, all, we'll perish. Yeah. Because oh, in, other- in Brett's campaign, you would, right? Because there's no game balance, so... Well, yeah. I mean, you can you could flat out die doing that. AJ died a couple times because of that because he was foolish and didn't run away. That giant that's stepped on his head to make sure he was dead. That's right. These things happen. <laughs> Adventuring is dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. It is. Um, oh, you, uh, Sean, reminded us of another one here: General's Hand by Broken Ruler Games. Todd Crapper. The General's Hand is another small group game. Yes. If there's other ones out there that people can come up with, I had a brief bit of time to try to scour, and I was coming up short. I know there's more stuff out there, so yes. if you know them, hit them, hit us with it. So, Sean, before we go too much further and talk about tips, tricks, and so forth, have you run purposely, run or played in small group games before? Well, said, you know just, what? We've only got that kind of people. I just ran two sessions for Tomb of Annihilation with two players and one player character each. Really? Like, yeah, not like, hey, we're going to roll up three. 
We'll all play three each. Because that's the old, that's the old, well, all you have to do is play 16 characters a piece and you could totally make yourself through anything. Which is something you can do if you only have, right? Yeah, and you can also go to the henchman or hirelings type yes. of rules and say, well, I'll just get a whole bunch of, you know, <laughs> disposables and disposables and here, hold my shit and uh, here, go check for traps. Mooks Not and... everybody likes to do that, though. Yeah. How did that go? How did the, that go for you? Was it combat intensive? Was it more sneaky, hidey, talky, talky or role playing? How did that how did that roll for you? Because normally you think Tomb of Annihilation, you're thinking D&D, encounters, combat, I need to heal. How'd that go with this, those players? It went uh, well. It is something that I was keeping in the back of my mind. It hasn't, uh, you know, they're kind of making our, their rounds about around a port city, um, kind of getting the lay of the land. They had an encounter at an end, as you do, mm-hmm. and they managed themselves pretty well, uh, I think. we, You know, I didn't throw the big, you know, five, ten bandit, encounter Adam or anything, which I think is, you know, I, I think there is a, there's a, like certain tropes that tend to come out every once in a while, like the big, huge encounter when maybe it's not always necessary. So when you're playing a smaller group, it may be different. So one example may be where if you're going through the jungle with 10 player characters, there are inherent disadvantages of doing that. If you were, right? Right? Exactly. That's why Aragorn liked to freaking run alone, man. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's an advantage to being solo or with one other person. And there's a friend of mine who was uh, trained, he had the opportunity when he was in Marine Corps to uh, be qualified for sniper school. And he said, big groups of two, Brett, are not that interesting to me. He said, I would much rather have a squad or a unit with me. I don't really want, I did not really want to go out with just me and one other guy. Right. That scared the shit out of him. Yeah. And Tom was a pretty tough dude. He's like, mm, no, just got married, had a kid. He goes, I looked at that one. That sounds really interesting. Big groups of two in enemy territory. No, sir. No. Yeah. Don't want to do it. So having said that, you know, I didn't get into, it, they aren't in a place during that adventure where I don't think their numbers are going to be a big deal. But at the same time, even in a port city, have you ever gone, Brett, this is, this always kind of was weird to me when I would go like bachelor parties, right? Yeah. You'd be with like a group of like 10 guys and you're walking into a bar or you're, even if you're not at a bachelor party, you're just going out with a big group of people. Uh huh. That's a different feel than if it's just like Brett and I riding a motorcycle, walking into a bar. Oh yeah. Totally different. Feel. You know what I'm saying? And then you have the dynamics of all those different 10 people. personalities. Yeah. 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 Um, and then when you're just with somebody else, it's it's different, a different dynamic. You're only dealing with one other personality. Now, the game you're running, <coughs> excuse me, Tomb of Annihilation, you didn't start or design that campaign to say, hey, I'm only have two players. This was a winds of fate circumstance landed you, so you had to deal with two players, right? Correct. Yes, that is, that is a fact. So, because <coughs> I've had that plenty of times where like, oh, shit. Well, you know what? I got options. And honestly, this is where one of my loves for city-based campaigns comes in is because there's so much stuff to do. I used to do this in Vampire all the time. Somebody couldn't make it. Somebody was running late or whatever. And you could shuttle the group off to go deal with other things. The group was always splitting up and going to different places to talk to other vampires or werewolves or mages or whatever the hell they were doing in the city. 
and running around. <clears throat> Even in an Avalon city, you get to run around and do stuff and talk to this person, go over here, do some investigation. You feel like you can split up a little bit as opposed to in the dungeon, which is odd. You're like, okay, we're in Undermountain. Why would you split the party? That sounds terrible, <laughs> right? But in an investigative game like Call of Cthulhu even too comes to mind is that the party often splits up. We're well, going to go. You go talk to librarian. You go over there. And when that happens, you down a few people. And that's normal. That's cool. Well, that's the thing with the bar thing that I was bringing up, especially Call of Cthulhu. Like, why would you have a group of like six investigators all hanging around each other? That's and a, everywhere. Yeah. And everywhere they go, they all go together. All six of them. Like, it just to me sounds as like in real world, Brett, if you and I and Lenny and Zave and all those guys were together and we, we were on like a, a scavenger hunt, it would be like going to every place together for some it's stupid reason. And it would feel, it would, it would be awkward. Like, hi, you know, hardware store owner. Someone would look at you, uh, <laughs> someone in a group would get, can we just fucking split up? I know where the hardware store is. I know where the school is. I yeah. know where the flagpole is. Can we just split up? But yeah. that's, but D and D has always been, you know, don't split the party. Yes. Right. So there's this weird dynamic. Uh, well, that, that actually, see. that actually points out a piece though, is that if you're going to run a campaign specifically, like, look, I only have three players or less, one player, two or three, that's it. I'm not going to get any more. You might want to choose a system that's either designed for such a thing. Or where it's inherently okay from the story perspective, narratively speaking. It makes sense in a Call of Cthulhu game to have three or four investigators. If you read the Dunwich Horror, Sean, which I strongly suggest you should, because in Call of Cthulhu, it's one of the few group investigation stories that Lovecraft ever wrote. If oh, not really? the only one, yes. Okay. Fartensworth Rice, Armitage, and shit. Can't remember the other guy, but there's basically three professors that are engaged in this thing in the Dunwich Horror. Interesting. So, and they go and, and deal with this thing, and they and things operate and so forth. Anyway, it's a small crew, and they go deal with a problem, and things happen. So I don't want to spoil it for you, even though it was written back. I appreciate. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Uh, there's an unabridged audiobook I'll point you to at some point. It's really good. Yeah, I don't have a problem buying it. I've got Audible credits coming out of my. Ears. Anyway, um, that story. That storyline, that genre, that setting, the whole get, that's cool. So if you're going to run D and D, and you said, "You look, I'm going to be in, I want to run Ebron game. We're going to go in Sharn. It's a city based campaign. It's okay to kind of wander around, as opposed to saying, "Hey, I'm going to run a hex crawl." And yeah, uh, is that okay or not? And you think about it. You, go, you know, Daniel Boone, Lewis and Clark. There were only well, Lewis and Clark had a bunch of hirelings. They had people with them. But there were still people during that time period, who Daniel Boone, David Crockett, that went out alone or with very small groups, scouting advance parties. They would come back and report. So looking at, it's not that you can't play D&D this way with just two or three people. What I think you need to do is take a serious look at the story that's going to surround it. You know, What's the conceit you're walking into? What's the thing you're going to go after? It's going to be a city-based campaign. All right, that's cool. All right, we can work with that. There's a couple of them. You're going to investigate something. And yes, somebody's going to say every game's an investigation game. I get it. But if you're there looking for a specific clue where you're hunting a la Sherlock Holmes or like a Call of Cthulhu investigation, or even if you're going on an assassination mission, you know, you look at Shadowrun. For God's sakes, why would you have six Shadowrunners? 
right, go, right. Going to going to break into the shop. I would think a group of three would probably potentially be more effective. Yeah, you might have to hire a rigger to drive you or hire somebody else to lend a hand, but the three people going in, using their contacts to do certain things, that seems much more efficient than a group of six to eight cats all trying to do something. Yeah, those it's are- basically you're getting smaller, small, you know, elite units at that point. Yeah, you that's where you kinda gotta it makes sense in that game to kinda split the party. Totally does. Yeah. But I think that is to me a really big reason to take a look at it. And someone say, Oh, we can't play D D because we only we don't have six, we don't have five people. You could say, Yes, we can. We're gonna run it in in Ravenloft. You could run a smaller group of people through Ravenloft. Because it's not, it's a demiplane, so on and so forth. It's a different type of adventuring. You could say, hey, I'm going to run an Avalon. It's a city campaign. We can totally do that. I'm going to go to Sharn, city campaign. Or I'm going to do a hex crawl with D&D. I'm going to run an old school BX hex crawl. But your job is to go out for two days and come back and report. There's an army behind you. Your job is to get data and report back. Or your job is to find X and come back. Indiana Jones was essentially a one-man show. He would pop in, find stuff, get things, and get out. So you can run those type of campaigns, I think, by taking a look at the different stories. We've talked about stealing shit before. Steal the book, steal the movie, steal the, the genre, the genre fiction, whatever it is that says, hey, you know, I don't have to have Game of Thrones or Wheel of Time where there's a cast of a lot of fucking people that I have to deal with here. No, I don't. I can keep it pretty small. Dragonlance Chronicles, to go back there, there's a shit ton of of uh, characters in there to keep track of. Yeah, there's you know, the, 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 the companions of Lance. Oh, there's a yeah. lot, at least six. Yeah. Yeah. I was just listening to the book with my son on the drive to Michigan and back because he wanted to listen to something. Anyway, <laughs> so you can tighten it up. I honestly think that is when someone says, that's how I want to. Well, I have three players. What game can I play? My question is, what story do you want to play? And it's, it doesn't mean it's a story game or whatever like that. It's like, no, think about the type of adventure. If you don't want to think story, if you don't want to think campaign idea, maybe campaign idea helps certain people get over it. But it's like, what kind of adventures do you want to run? Well, they really want to do old school dungeon crawling, but I only have three of them. <sighs> well, you really want to go old school. Hire henchmen, hirelings, two characters apiece. That's the way to go. Because if you want to run old school and do the stuff you used to do, you're going to die. If you don't have a cleric, if no one in the group wants to make a cleric or the only cleric dies, you're going to have these issues and so on. But if they're willing to play D&D or any game and have a different type of adventure or set of adventures, I think that changes the mindset of what people are looking for. And certain games... Your Power of the Apocalypse games and other ones are very designed to curate an experience, right? So Monster Hearts, I know I've not played it. I have to ask Kevin and other people who have, but I don't think you need a, a cast of eight people to play Monster Hearts, right? And those games that are designed to curate that experience, I want to play this type of adventure. I want to have this type of an adventure. Hey, there is a game that's designed to curate that experience. Or there may be, I don't know what it is. What games do you know? You can make that experience happen by toning or tuning the adventures to be the type of thing you're talking about. Does that make sense, Sean? 
Yeah, of course it makes sense, Brett. Would you, does that sound at all interesting to you or do you, or I mean, because if you think about it, would you sit down and say, you know what, I'm only going to run a game for three people? Yeah, I th- I think it. Because uh, I, I can it, tell you, man, I used to think that'd be a waste of time. Only oh, three no. of, only four of us can get together. Pff, why even bother running? I used to have that mindset back in the ages back. Oh, there's only three of us, only three of you and one of me. Oh, it's not even worth it. Makes scheduling a hell of a lot easier. Yes, yes, yeah. it would. The fewer people, the fewer people problems. <laughs> the fewer people schedule problems. That's I'm telling you. If you have a podcast and you're solo, it's really easy. Well, to, for to scheduling. schedule, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, because Brett never texts you and says, "Can we push it to Monday?" Because I'm beat. That well, doesn't happen when it's just you. If you get a second one, you're only having to rely on the other person somewhat, mm-hmm. and vice versa. But yes. then, I mean, if we were have a third or a fourth, yeah, oh, dude, that'd be hard. Well, Manifest Zone has four guys, but you know, it's very rare that all four are on the, on the mics <clears> at the same on the same show. But anyways, I don't have a problem running. For a small, small group, I actually think it's pretty cool. You guys, you know, you you run three people, um, or two players and one game master. It is something like you said. Depending on the game that you're going to play and the adventure or whatever that scenario is, is going to be dependent upon whether they need additional numbers. And then, as a game master, it's going to be up to you. Or, well, not even just the game master, but well, it'll start out with the game master on whether the game master wants to scale it necessarily or uh-huh. keep everything the same and then leave it up to the players to scale. Yes, because you could say, "Well, we're going to do this." It's Sean, Kane, it's Sean, Kevin, and Joe. Eileen was going to play, but she can't be there. No one else can be there, so it's just you guys. Right. And I'm running. Okay, we are agreeing that I'm going to run Tomb of Annihilation. I'm not going to pull any punches, right? Yes, Brett. Okay. You're gonna what are you gonna do? How are you guys gonna go about fixing your problems? How are you gonna solve for the fact that it's dangerous? <clears throat> well, we're gonna get hirelings, we're gonna make five characters a piece, we're gonna do da 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 da. Right. Right. So again, that's like a session zero type of thing. We are agreeing to do this thing in this way. Well, it's right? planning an expedition. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think what you said there about and you gave me shit for it where I don't do balancing, but there is you can have so when AJ and Alana were playing and I and AJ got stepped on by the fire giant, he had two characters. Alana had one. They should have run away. There was only one fire giant. It was fucking dangerous as hell. And they got wailed on really hard. And I looked at AJ and said, What do you want to do? He goes, Oh, maybe I should run. No, I gotta stay. I gotta stay and fight. I think we can beat him. Squish. <laughs> okay. Bad tactical decision, AJ. He didn't do that again, right? Um, it, it doesn't have to be like that. But instead of having three fire giants or one for each of them, it was one. You know, I, I don't balance encounters per se, but I know what tough looks like. Right? And I know what overpowered looks like based on the number of characters and the power of them and so forth. So you may... If you're big on balance, have to tune stuff. Like, look, there's not two black dragons here. There's one. And it may not be two huge ancient black dragons. It's one juvenile black dragon because I only have two people going in here, and I want to make it fair. There's CR for a reason. If you want to run that way, you can totally do that. Same thing with Shadowrun or any adventure, really. 
If you go through it and say, and it says this is designed for X number of characters, you have half that number. You probably, if that's how you want to run, need to make some modifications. I would modify stuff. I don't want to make it a death trap, you know. Well, I modify Tomb of Annihilation with the old group because they are like 12 characters. Mm -hmm. So they're walking through a lot of stuff. Yeah. So sometimes you can ramp it up. Like, hey, we're going to go in there. We're going to just be three of us playing. We're each going to have six characters. You're like, son of a bitch. You you three guys. You can each play six characters like fiends and you're just grinding through everything, you know? But with that comes, well, everybody's making noise. Oh, yeah. Just takes one. Yes, exactly. Just takes one. And that's when Tyrannosaurus comes and eats Paige's character. Munch, (laughs) munch, munch, munch. The other thing I have found running with smaller groups is shit moves really fast or can happen very quickly. Fewer decisions need to be made. Fewer people need buy-in, right? Which is one of the reasons why I can't stand running a meeting at work. Ten people is like, we are. this meeting is too many. Five is usually okay. My preference is like, if there's five, there's me as the decision maker and everybody else can talk about it and I'm going to break the tie if it's my team, whatever. But I don't want huge groups because shit never gets decided. Case in point, if I get my eight guys, I throw a puzzle at them, I could walk away, order pizza, go get a beer, get my tires rotated and come back and they may still be fumbling through the puzzle sometimes. If you get three, two or even one person, that crew of men and women, bam, 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 bam. They may shit roll. Shit gets done. And they may roll through your product faster than you can keep up. The other yeah, thing you may true. find is that that speed, the intensity of the game goes up. And the opportunity for role-playing, you have people who like to role-play, and they're doing a Call of Cthulhu game, and they don't have any backup. There's just two of them. There's just three of them. And they split up. The sessions, the role-playing stuff can be very intense, especially with a smaller group because they're moving quickly. Robin Laws has said this around uh, Cthulhu Confidential, where he put it in the book where, like, this can get emotionally intense because there's a lot going on. It is harder to speak to a group of people. And, very, you know, if I've got eight players and I say, yep, you know, you know, Jen's character's in, she's fighting and smash, the giant knocks you down and kills you. Everyone goes, oh, damn. Oh, that sucks. All right, Jen, we will avenge you. All right, we're good. If it's Jen and Sean, and I kill Jen, oh yeah, Jen's character goes down, <laughs> and Sean looks over and goes, "Fuck me!" It, it becomes so much more personal because yeah. there's only two players. Yeah, it's hard. You can't extrapolate out. You're not part of a larger. You're not part of the larger group. You are the group. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everything comes to an abrupt halt. Yes, the the <laughs> so when we talk about scale and whatever. It isn't so much that I balance the encounter, blah, blah, blah. I mean, maybe I do. I don't know. I have to think about that more. But <clears throat> the impact of an encounter has so much more oomph to it. Yeah. Because yeah, if, sure. really, if it goes really well, big impact too. They yeah. get gutsy and crazy and they go faster. Goes really bad. I mean, really bad? Fuck. Everything ends. Yeah. There's you no just, continuation. If, You're, the campaign is over. Yeah. I mean, you could have a TPK in one room. Easier, because you only got two people, potentially, or one. And sometimes you want to, if you're running one-on-one, which I have in the past, it's almost a foregone conclusion that that character isn't going to die. We're not going to die in a horrible, stupid, offhanded way. It's going to be very story-driven. A lot of people who want to play in smaller groups, in my experience, 
have been people who want to role play more and drive story and combat's okay, but a narrative hand wavy combat is fine. They want to talk to NPCs, figure out problems, make power plays, play spies, and get into that type of thing. They're not necessarily there just to kill goblins and take their stuff. Agreed. And I think that... Different type of game. Totally different type of game. I think you need to keep all that shit in mind because it just it, it'll help make that experience better. So... I found at cons, I don't like running for more than four or five people tops. Yeah. Actually, like a four four or five person game is fine. But a little more intimate that way. Indeed. You know? Yep. Anything else you want to say, Sean? No, man. I think it's uh, I think it's good. I like uh, small groups, but it does change the game quite a bit. I'll tell you, though, for our Patreon games, um, when, I get, when I'm able to get in there, it might be worth it to say, look, this is a game for fewer people. Yeah. Start running three people games. Yeah. And just crank through it. I know with um, with the Streets of Avalon, I, I've run smaller group games. It would be easy for me. But I even, shit, running Star Wars, you could run that with a three-people game. Sure. And I think if you break it up like that, it might be a little bit easier. Yep. From a scheduling perspective, nothing else would make it a lot simpler. Well, there's a lot of storylines that go on in Star Wars. You could have like two, two or three different parties playing the same relatively storyline that may be related. Kind Agreed. of. Maybe not, but they'll run into each other down the road. Yeah. So if you're playing a small small game, small group game, let us know. I'd be interested in how what game you guys are playing, how you've made some modifications to to run in those games or even playing the game. Playing yeah, the I game mean, is like I don't want to take any ne- unnecessary risks cuz if I do I'm done done. There's no I could create another character but then it's wonkiness trying to incorporate them into the same scenario, right? Yeah, agreed. Well, I guess I was related to them, so I'm going to try to find out where they were, and then I'm going to uncover their murder, and then I'll pick up the trail from there, maybe, I guess. I actually did a uh, a <laughs> I did a Call of Cthulhu game, and it was uh, a one-shot, and the entire thing was a challenge of every time people died, they would quick make up a new character, and they'd say, I'm a fireman, and I'd be, fuck. And the challenge was, how do we retrofit them into the group somehow? <laughs> How did you know somebody? Okay, I'm a boxer. You're in. Uh, I'm a librarian who used to. I right, find so yeah. Cool man. Well, excellent. Uh, well, it's gonna we're gonna skip die roll this week. Sounds good. We'll put some links in the show notes. Like I'll put in uh, General's Hand, call, uh, Cthulhu Confidential, or Between Dog and Wolf. And if yep. there's other ones we should share, let us know. I'll get the um, the link to Jared Rasher's review out there as well. Okay. Um, I want to. Th- we have arrived, Brett. Yes. What happened? I somebody want, somebody hates us. I want to thank Somebody hates us. I want to thank the Mud Skipper for the review on iTunes. Oh. Gave us a one-star review. And I'm going to read this one. Do it. Read it, man. Titled Garbage. Oh. One star. He by, really loves us. By the Mud Skipper. Boring conversations between two cringe-inducing geeks. Oh. Oh. That, that actually warms the cockles of my little heart. You know what I would love? I know this sounds really ra- or wacky. So here's the deal, people. Reviews do not get your podcast up in the ranks. Nope. It does not. There are podcasts that have very few reviews that are higher in the ranks than those that have 100 reviews. Mm-hmm. There is no correlation. 
It's all based on subscriptions. So what it would be really cool is if everybody out there just wrote one star reviews, but they were all good. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of funny. I want I want a hundred one star reviews that tell people how good we are. The yeah. worst thing they have to say is it's awesome. That would be well. That'd if be you had hilarious, if man. you had a one if you had a hundred one star reviews, you'd ha you'd feel compelled like I gotta check this thing out. How oh my bad god! It how is. bad could this be? <laughs> <laughs> or if they read them and they were really good, then you'd be like, why are they giving them one star? That's weird. That's strange. I guess I should do that. I think somebody did that on Yelp. Did they? They went crazy. And I think, oh, a, a restaurant did that. A restaurant encouraged all their patrons to leave a one star review on Yelp. Because everybody wants to see how bad something is. And it wasn't, they weren't bad. It was like, I think no, I mentioned saying, this on the show when you, before. When you, when you get a negative review, yes, we yes. talked about this. I want to tell everybody how much this sucks. Yes. Oh, what's bad about this? Yes. That's funny. And the reviews were like, I didn't get an iPad with my meal. What the hell? <laughs> like, it was just ridiculous shit, <laughs> right? That had really nothing to do with it being a I bad place. I ordered the ramen and it did not come with a flaming yawn. I don't understand. I thought for sure it came with a side of steak. What? Yeah. WTF? Yeah, will Dude. not will not come here again for steak, <laughs> right? It's it's a noodle house. Yes, I know, but I still <laughs> want it. What the came hell? here for the steak? Stayed for the noodles. Where no steak to be found? One star. Will <laughs> will will come again? That's funny as shit. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we tweeted that and it was quite hilarious. And so uh, I thought it was pretty pretty good. Thanks. Hey. Thanks, Mudskipper. I tried to find Mudskipper, like if he or she was on Twitter or something, like going by the name Mudskipper. I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't find him. No, but that's all right. Eh, somebody somewhere. So Mudskipper, like if you're still listening, thanks, thank, man. Thank, thank you, man, woman. Yeah, absolutely. dude, lady, whatever. Appreciate it. Anyways, uh, that's all we had for this week. What are we talking about next week, Brett? So next week, you and I talked about this a little bit off the air, and I want to bring back kind of the con game idea. And one of the pieces I've been thinking about is basically here's what it is. I'm using your con game magic to bring back the wonder in your home game. That's what Ooh, I want to talk about. To bring back the wonder in your yeah. home game. Like yes. is it the fuel, like refueling or? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. I'll oh, put it together and we'll see what happens. Well, that's great, buddy. Yeah. Well, it'll probably be a colossal failure, but we're going to try. We're going to totally try. All right. Well, that's all we can. Well, that's all I can ask for is well, just trying. Agreed. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, hey, it's another episode of Game and BS, ladies and gentlemen. We hope we met your expectations. <laughs> Mudskipper, I love you. I want to make out with you, Mudskipper. <laughs> dude, dude. <laughs> all right. This is Sean. And I'm Brad. Good night. Good game and all. Well, now it's time to say goodbye to Sean and his friend, Brett. And they would like to thank you folks so kindly that we met. You're all invited back to chat to this locality to have some fearsome gaming chat and fresh insanity. Role-playing games, that is. Roll some dice. Join the plot train. It depends now, you hear? This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Oh, hell. Let's just name them all. Graham Minert, Corey Wynn, Andy Hall, Hawk Sparrow, J Sean Nicholson, 
Aaron Aurelia, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, James Carpio, Misdirected Mark Productions, Jason, Todd Crapper, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Eric Hoffman, Christopher Lang, JV, Mark Richmond, Peter Skeins, Eli Kurtz, Tim Shorts, Gordon Cranford, Jack Neller, Eric Bontz, The Knights of the Night Crew, Evan Harrison Cass, Malcolm Cool, Todd McGowan, Goblin's Henchman, Eric Avia, Murder Hobo Show, Jessica Sparks, Jared Rasher, Palladian, Roll for Guild, Mark CMG Clover, John Steve, Brian Rumble, Brian Kurtz, Matt Cyberlick, Corey Welch, Kyle Winter, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Basore, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Chad Glayman, Finnolf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Jeff Seifert. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.